Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in the first chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul the Apostle knows his time on earth is nearly over. From a cold, dark prison cell in Rome, as he awaits execution, he writes a very passionate and personal letter to Timothy. The letter is filled with heartwarming encouragements and insights to help any Christian lacking confidence to find courage and boldness to be faithful to the Lord. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Encouragement for Timothy. Last words are important ones, especially when uh, you're saying goodbye to somebody or you're parting company. The important things you want to say tend to come to the surface, don't they? I remember my parents would be going away for the weekend, maybe when we were older teens, And uh, always, as they're going off, they're saying the things that are most important, things that they want to stick in your memory. You know, like, don't burn the house down. And <clears throat> That was a joke my dad just always had to say. You know, uh, you know the emergency numbers, uh, remember to lock the doors and to get along well with each other, not to fight and all of that. And... Uh, Not only when we're parting company do we say what's important, but also when we're departing this life, if we're granted the ability to speak before that happens, uh, those words uh, tend to say exactly what you've been thinking about. Really, it up bubbles what's really important in those moments. And uh, a few last-minute quotes from famous people have been recorded. No doubt you've heard some of them. I'll share them uh, with you. This guy was thinking about money, clearly. Uh, P.T. Barnum of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus back in 1891, languishing there on his deathbed in the throes of death. And he opens his eyes and he gets somebody's attention and he says, how much did we bring in today? You can't take it with you. (laughs) Should have been the answer. Uh, You know, um, confusion and fear. Princess Diana, August 31st, 1997. My God, what happened? Last words. Now, we all hope that she meant my God like we mean my God. Uh, Then there's defiance, a Spirit of right to the end. Uh, Joan Crawford, just a Hollywood legend, old school actress, starlet, you know. The, uh, the one about Mommy Dearest was uh, written. Uh, she was there dying on her deathbed and uh, the housekeeper was a Christian and she started to pray for Joan and Joan was heard to say, don't you dare ask God to help me. I thought there might be an audible gasp in the sanctuary, right? Then there's the false bravado, you know, Charles Darwin back in the spring of 1882 
Uh, he had to die as well because it is appointed unto men once to die and face the judgment, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And uh, he said, I am not in the least bit afraid to die. If I would have been there, I, <laughs> I would have said, that's part of your problem. <laughs> uh, but finally here, sounds like Charles V, uh, king of France, had a relationship with God and his very last words, just two last words slipped out of his mouth before he went to be with the Lord. It was, yes, Jesus. That's very nice, very comforting. And because of that, even though he died in the 1300s, he speaks today. Now, this morning, a new book up for study not really a new book because it's the sequel to the last one, Paul's first letter to Timothy, and not much time has elapsed. It's been two years from 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy. Timothy's circumstances are about the same. Uh, He's still pastoring that church that's recovering from a lot of false teaching. Um, But Paul's Situation has changed drastically. In fact, now he's writing a second time to Timothy, the man that he's mentoring there. And it's his final letter, final words, not only to Timothy, but to anyone else. Because he's, his death, his martyrdom, his beheading by Nero at Rome is imminent. It's going to happen. And he knows it. We know it from the tone and the content of Second Timothy that his death is right around the corner. Well, it's always helpful to have some context, especially if you weren't with us for First Timothy. So let me give you a little context. Here's what's happened. Now, when you leave Acts chapter 28, Paul is in prison. He's very busy. He's, he's able to write letters. Uh, and he writes a few epistles, uh, but he is, uh, everybody hopes that he's going to be released, and, and they expect it, because there's really no case against him, and he's a Roman citizen, and so he's there, uh, and his case is apparently uh, dismissed. He leaves Rome after Acts 28, and he goes with Timothy and Titus down to do evangelism on, at, at Crete where he's going to leave Titus. And uh, there are now need for churches to be formed there. And so he leaves Titus there, but he takes Timothy here to Ephesus, where there's a lot of trouble. False teachers, as we've been studying, false teachers, false doctrine, just terrible. Paul uses his apostolic authority, and he excommunicates the two ringleaders. But there's a lot of work to do. Paul's there for a while with Pastor Timothy, his sidekick there. Uh, but he leaves Timothy there. And he goes up to visit some friends and do ministry work in Macedonia, where he's probably hanging out with the Philippians. Now, in, when he's there, that's when he says, hey, I want to come back and finish the work here. So he writes First Timothy. Here's what you should be implementing in the church. And he also, from here, writes a letter to Titus. So you have the letter to Titus and you have the letter to first, the first letter to Timothy from here. Now here's what happens. He says, I'm on my way. First Timothy says, hey, but if I'm delayed, here's how the church ought to be run. First Timothy. Well, he's delayed because now he's coming back. And when he gets to Troas, he gets rearrested. 
and he's hauled back to that dark dungeon. This time, the two years that have gone by is when Nero has gone mad. He hates Christians. The fire has happened. He's blamed the Christians. They're throwing Christians into the Colosseums and the gladiators. That whole deal's happening, which explains why in this letter, he says, everyone's deserted me. All my coworkers are gone, except Luke. Well, that's because <laughs> the pressure has been turned up. The fires have been turned up, as it were. And so that's the context. Now, now he knows this is it. The Holy Spirit's kind of revealed. He just knows he's going to be beheaded. This is the end. And uh, he writes, he manages to get a letter off to Ephesus where Timothy's still pastoring that dysfunctional church and he gets the letter. It's a personal letter to him called Second Timothy. So now you're up and you've got the context. Let's continue. Now, can you imagine, last words, the tone of this letter, one writer says this as we dive in now. He said, this epistle is not written in ink per se, but with the life's blood of the apostle Paul. It's passionate. It's personal. Well, you know what? It's taking 30 years of experience of the greatest missionary preacher that ever lived, the greatest Christian single-handedly almost, but with a team. He evangelized the entire Roman Empire. Look at the books that, that the Holy Spirit used him to author. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and most scholars would throw in Hebrews, but we can't prove it. I believe that he wrote Hebrews as well. It sounds just like him, but he didn't sign it, so nobody knows about that. You take a guy like that, 30 years he's been planting churches and preaching the gospel and suffering the likes of Job, and you tell him, you get one last letter. Got any insights? And look at the genius of God. To draw out of this kind of man, he uses Timothy. Nobody on earth Paul loves more than Timothy. He's a young man. He's a lot like you and I. He's in a situation that he loves the Lord. He's called by the Lord, but he's lacking confidence. He's always being told he needs to have boldness. He's always feeling inadequate. He, he loves God. He wants to do what God wants him to do, but he's always sensing, I need some strength. I need some mm, confidence. God uses Timothy to draw out of this guy what would be vital for somebody who loves the Lord, who just feels overwhelmed, I don't know if I could do it, it's such a daunting task. My own Christian life, people around me, the Great Commission, whoa, I just feel like I can't. And he says, listen, I'm about to die, listen up. And out it comes. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's just pause there. We're going to get only as far as verse 11. We're going to take our time and just see what the Lord has for us. No rush. All we're doing is waiting around for Jesus to come back anyway. Amen. (laughs) I am. Here's a a little outline. Just as we go, there'll always be an outline just to kind of uh, corral our thoughts, as it were. Okay, so here's the personal introduction, and you can keep looking at your text, verses 1 and 2. And and first, he's going to refer to their relationship. You know, 1 Timothy was about how to manage a church. You know, if you ever want to just go to a pastor's conference, just read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It's written to pastors about how to run the church in a biblical way. But this is not the purpose of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is not to how to manage the church, but how to manage his life so that he could be found faithful, so that he can accomplish the thing that God is calling him to do. That's what it's about. So it's very personal. You see right away, it's very different. To my dear son, you know, uh, let me talk to you about how this relationship got started. You know, 20 years earlier, the first missionary journey, you remember Acts chapter 14. Let's go to the maps. I love maps. Uh, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. They set sail, very first time to bring the gospel to the world, the Gentile world. All right, this is modern-day Turkey. So they leave Israel, and here they go, right? And so they go up here. John Mark goes home to mommy. And then they go up to Antioch. They go down to Lystra. Lystra is where Timothy lives. He's 15 years old. His mom, Eunice, and her mom, Lois, their mom is a full Jew. Grandma is a full Jew. But Eunice married a Greek to produce Timothy. So Timothy is half and half. But he was raised as a Jew, which commentators say, dad is probably out of the scene. And when dad, because he wouldn't let them grow up in a Jewish home, or Timothy, that is. Because Timothy was raised in the Old Testament scriptures. So, dad's off the scene. Lois and Eunice, mom and grandma, are together living, raising Timothy as a believing Jew without Jesus. They don't have the missing link. So, Paul and Barnabas come in. And Timothy's this, this, we know. 25 times he's needed to be told, boldness, confidence, you can do this. 25 times. We know what he's like as a teenager. And in comes the Apostle Paul, and he's preaching the gospel, and he sees there a lame man in their midst. Lois, Eunice, Timothy, lame guy. And he looks at the lame man, never walked ever from birth, and says, you, stand up in the name of Jesus. And the guy stands up and starts dancing around. (laughs) Timothy, Eunice, Lois, and everybody else. The crowd want to sacrifice to these two men who they think are gods. 
the gods have come down and they're bringing out bulls and they're like, what's all the happiness? What's the parade about? Oh, we're going to sacrifice them to you. And they're like tearing their clothes and they convince them, what are you guys doing? And when they convince them, they're embarrassed and they're mad. And instead of worshiping Paul and Barnabas, the crowd turns on them and wants to kill them. Stirred up by the Jews who are mad in the crowd at Paul, they take stones and they stone him to death. They pile rocks on top of him. They drag him out from that pile. And Timothy, Lois, and Eunice are in the crowd. They drag this man, this preacher, who just raised the man from lame from birth, out for dead. Leave him out there. They're watching. The disciples gather around and we believe that he actually died because he has a vision of being in heaven. He talks to the Corinthians about. The the disciples gather around him and Paul stands up, alive, battered, bruised, bloodied, and they limp off to Derby. And then they decide, we're going back to Lystra. What? Paul, they just tried to kill you. They did kill you. Well, let's go back. Tell them the good news. God can raise you up and heal you. (laughs) He goes back. Timothy, eyes. What? This is Timothy, who's kind of, I'm sorry, afraid of his own shadow at times. All right. He sees this guy. That's who I want to be. That's what I'm lacking. That's why, wow. Look at him. He comes back. He sealed the deal. Timothy's born again, Eunice is born again, Lois is born again, and Paul goes home without Timothy, goes back until two years pass. Two years, second journey. They leave again, same way, but instead of going this way, they go by the land route. This is the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16. They land in Lystra, and here's what happens. There was a little church that formed there. (laughs) And all the elders, the pastors of that church, saw Paul, who was the founding pastor of that church, and said, oh, Paul, you've got to meet this kid. Oh, he's gifted, and he's great, and he loves the Lord. He's so helpful. They're just talking him up. He says, let me see this kid. Timothy comes. Paul, their eyes meet. It's over. Fifteen years Timothy and Paul go all through this. Timothy and Paul. Timothy and Paul. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. For the next 15 years, those 15 years now arrive to where we are today. So he goes from 18 years old to about 33 years old. Paul is about 60. And that's the setting. He's been with them all his life. Their lives have been... Uh, intertwined. There's a love that nobody can really describe. He says, my beloved son. He refers to his relationship. And next he says, oh, the Apostle Paul, what are you saying Apostle Paul in such a uh, personal letter for? Well, he knows it's scripture. He does. He has an idea. And he knows it's going to be, he's going to make remarks about the congregation and false teachers. And and so he needs to say, this is not uh, the will of man. 
He says this is not the whim of man, but the will of God called an apostle, somebody to represent him. And so he has to add that there. I really like the phrase, by the will of God. God gives us a role, everybody. And you should be able to say whatever gift that God has given you, I, I, I am an encourager by the will of God, or I am a giver. These are all spiritual gifts I'm listing. By the will of God, I work at so-and-so place, and I do so-and-so for the Lord. Yes, you can do your secular work as unto the Lord as we're called to do. But it's, it's I pity the person who ever calls himself to do anything in the kingdom of God. You, you have to be called of God so he can equip you to do the very thing that he's called you to do. And so uh, he, he goes on to say he's an, uh, he's an apostle by the will of God, Timothy. These remarks, God stands by. Uh, behind these exhortations. And then finally, here in our set, he refers to the shared destiny. It takes him one verse, look at your verse. Uh, he, it says, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. According to the promise, he doesn't even get a breath out and he's preaching the gospel and telling you what the whole 66 books of the Bible is about. He, he's saying, this is a communication to you. I'm on death row. I'm finished. I'm gone in just a matter of days. But it's not that Nero has a grip on me. Nero has a grip on me. I'm going to die. Christ has a grip on me. I'm going to live. That's the difference that Christ brings to a heart that's facing death. He says, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Of course he's thinking that. He's He's getting ready to die. So he said, by the way, this is all about the promise of life. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Whoever believes in me. Matthew chapter 10, he says, hey, do not be afraid of those who can just kill your body and then after that, what can they do? To the you you that counts, nothing. Don't be afraid of them. Then in another place, he says, um, he says, hey, in the last days, people are, uh, people are going to kill some of you. And then he says, not to worry, not a hair on your head will perish. He just said, they're going to kill you. And then he says, no, don't worry, not a hair on your head's going to perish. What do you mean? They're going to take the head off. I, the, 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 the hairs will perish. I know. <laughs> Mine have perished and I still have my head attached. <laughs> He says, no, no, no. There's a you that they cannot touch according to the promise of life that is in Christ. Jesus is not anywhere else. It's not in your good works. It's not in Buddhism. It's not in Muhammad. It's not in Islam. It's not in being a very moral, upright citizen. It's nowhere. You cannot find the promise of life if you want to live in this life and the life to come anywhere else. And he's just preaching the gospel, which I could do right now, right here with one sentence. But I can't. We've got to move on. Listen, suffice it to say, John 3.36, whoever has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the Son shall not see life, for God's wrath remains upon them. He says, Timothy, this is a letter 
about the promise of life for those who are facing death. This is about good news, the promise of life. Then he says grace, mercy, and peace. You see that? Just beautiful. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. And peace, the result of having experienced the grace and the mercy. And if you're lacking peace, I'll tell you, you will never have it, ever. You will never find peace outside of two words, grace and mercy. When you know your sins are forgiven and grace, it has nothing to do with your merits and mercy that you're not going to get what you truly deserve for all your rebellious ways, then you can have peace. Especially when it doesn't depend on you. That's what grace is. And oh, I can have peace today. So he goes on. He goes on now. It's time to encourage Timothy. And let's see what he says. We've got three to five here. Now I thank God, Timothy, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. So it's time, as our um, outline will show you, personal encouragement for Timothy will begin, which is the theme of the whole letter. I'm thankful. I'm thanking God for you. I'm praying for you and I'm needing you. That's really where we're headed. Now, listen, you can't, you just can't stop this guy. What is with opening a letter in a dungeon after a life of a lot of suffering? You know, in Acts chapter nine, when the Lord struck this guy with lightning, as it were, opened Paul's eyes, and he became a Christian. He ended up going into Damascus, where he was headed to kind of kill Christians, but he he ended up going to Damascus, and he's blind, and the Lord speaks to Ananias, and he tells brother Ananias, go and talk to Paul, minister to him, and he says, no can do, Lord. (laughs) He, haven't you heard? He's here to kill guys like me, and the Lord says, hey, listen, now he's on our side, He's my chosen instrument. He's going to bring the gospel to the world, to important people. And besides, he's going to suffer a lot. It's in the call for Paul. Five times the lashes, 40 minus one. Three times beaten with rods, an official corporal Roman punishment. A few times shipwrecked at sea, hungry, sleepless nights, cold, without proper clothing. I'm making his list, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. After a life like that, friends betrayed him, desert him, slander him, turn on him. Now he's facing a beheading. And he's chained in a stinking prison. And he says, you know what? First thing I want to say is I'm thankful. <laughs> You're what? <laughs> You're thankful? What? what is wrong with you? <laughs> How can you be thankful? Because Paul has a heavenly perspective, doesn't he? He tells the Corinthians, our light and momentary troubles are not worth comparing 
to the glory that is awaiting us. If you keep your mind there, this is just a blip. This doesn't even count. That's eternal. This is temporary. This is nothing. So having a heavenly perspective allows him to say, you know what? I'm just thankful. I'm not resentful. Dear Timothy, I've got a lot of questions. Okay, I don't know how a God of love, after all I've done for him, okay, I've kind of evangelized the entire world, all right? And this is where I end up, a king's kid. (laughs) I'm in the dungeon. They're going to kill me. I'm resentful. I'm bitter. I'm keeping my list. No, he says, I'm thankful. I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for you, he says. He says, you're the real deal, man. I remember 15 years ago, I came in. You went from death to life, and you've been by my side ever since. And every time I think of you and how well you're doing, it brings joy to my heart. Now, that's kind of cool. Anybody we invest in has the power to bring joy to the person who's poured into us as we're doing well. That's just nice. I love what Paul tells the Thessalonians. He says, for what is our hope? Check this out. This is profound. What's our joy or the crown in which we'll glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? (laughs) Think of this. He's saying, what's going to be the cool thing in heaven? Jesus is a given, all right? But what's going to make me really happy? What's the joy, the reward, the the crown that we're all talking about? When we get there, what's going to be the, wow, the big bang? It's people that we reached out to, that God saved through our efforts. Them standing there praising God. He says, that's going to do it for me. He says, I know I'm going to see him. I'm going to be excited. I don't know, like the song says, am I going to dance? Am I going to fall down? Am I going to, I don't know when I see Jesus what I'm going to do, but it's one thing for me to see him, but when you see him, when the, when the people in China who we've been working to see come to a saving knowledge of Christ, when I see them praising God in their Chinese, or however we do it, <laughs> He says, boy, you bring me joy in this dark, dreary place. I think about how well you're doing, and I'm alive. I'm alive. It's beautiful. He says, I'm thinking about you, and I'm thankful for you. Uh, Next, he says, I'm praying for you night and day. Now, for me, this is cool because he says morning and evening. So in the morning and the evening, he has a regular time of prayer important. And all he's saying is this. he's not constantly praying for Timothy. He's saying, when I pray for you, every time I pray, I pray for you. Your name comes up every time. Now, one writer said this, nothing tells you who you really love than those who keep appearing on your prayer list. If you're not praying for others, it tells you where others fall in your priorities, whether or not you really love anyone at all. If they're important to you, you'll pray for them. If they're not, you won't. Those are convicting words. And who better to pray night and day for Timothy, somebody who knows his weaknesses and his strengths and the pitfalls of ministry. And so that's beautiful. Can you imagine having somebody, there's somebody pull me aside, very moving in the the lobby, 
just grabbed me, pulled me in and said, I pray for you every day. So how? Well, I wish I had somebody like Paul or a prayer warrior to pray for me every day. You do. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, for he always lives to make intercession for them. It means Jesus is praying for his people. That's his job. He's called the mediator. He's interceding. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He's rooting for you. Oh, man, that's all I need to hear is that Jesus is praying for me. And it's like everything, get out of my way. The Lord Jesus is for me. He's God the Son, and he's praying for me that my faith not fail, that I be found faithful. And if Jesus Christ is praying for me, his prayers are always answered. Amen? Amen. I needed an amen there really bad. (laughs) I'm excited about that. So he says, I'm praying for you. And uh, lastly, he says, I'm needing you. Very interesting. He says, hey, I remember the last time we were together. Oh, I keep reliving that scene. We parted in your tears. Man, I remember you crying. He says, I want to see you. I need you. Now, this is partly for Paul and partly for Timothy because nothing helps you rise to the occasion more than when somebody you love is depending on you and needs you. I need you, Timothy. I need you to get down here. I'm going to send, we find this out in the chapters to come, I'm going to send Pastor Tychicus. He's going to have this letter. And I want him to fill in for you. And I want you to come with to me. I need a warm coat. I'm cold. I need the parchments and books. I, I need you to come to me. And Timothy will. So he goes on now. And the last section we'll take a look at. And then we'll be done. He says, for this reason I remind you, verse 6. To fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So ordination, service back in the day must have been very powerful. He says, I remind you to fan that into flame. Verse 7, for God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, fear, or cowardice, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, the good news. And of this good news, I was appointed a herald, means a preacher, a proclaimer, an apostle, means one sent to represent, and a teacher. So 
let's take a look at these verses. Uh, So third point, if you're taking notes, spiritual encouragement now for Timothy. And, And to tell you the truth, that's really what the whole letter is about now. And he's gonna say, don't coast, don't cower, don't cave in, and don't lose sight of Christ. So first of all, you know, everybody's at a different place. And, you know, some people, you know, he, he's trying to talk to Timothy about being bold. Uh, not to shy away from confrontation, to stand up there, not to let people take advantage of him. These are the kinds of exhortations I told you about list 25 times. Now, everybody's kind of at a different place with their temperament, you know. Uh, some people are bold. Some people are not by nature. Some people are extroverts. Some people are not by nature. Now, for me, uh, I am not needing any more boldness at the moment. <laughs> I need a spirit of calm to come and restraint to come over me. Uh, but everybody's at a different place, you know. Uh, Pastor Jim, we were in line at Starbucks. And uh, Pastor Jim whispered in my ear, I dare you to share the gospel with this guy. (laughs) And I just rolled my eyes. (laughs) Whatever. So the guys, uh, I'm working with them. I'm just, I'm open, I'm listening, you know. And the guy says, well, I said, thank you. He says, I'm just here to serve. And I said, So am I. That's so funny. In fact, I do that for a living. I'm a pastor and I serve the Lord. And these five guys with me, they're all pastors serving the Lord too. He goes, is that right? All five of you? You don't look like pastors. (laughs) They're all, all of them. They're all tall and good looking. I don't know what happened to me. (laughs) So I said, he says, where do you pastor? He's asking me. Where do you pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. And everybody else listening? Uh, we pastored the rock and told them about so happy, so up. Pastor Jim's just going like this. <laughs> you know, it just sounds, you know, I like to talk to people. It's been pointed out to me, like, do you have to make best friends with everybody you meet? You know, so I tried last night to go to Rite Aid and not become friends with everybody in the store. And I, I had to get in the car and go, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> I just like, hey, yo, hey, love. And before you know it, we're just friends. I don't know how it happens. But uh, anyway, some people need a little extra uh, oomph and some are already obnoxious enough. <laughs> now, don't coast. All right, so we've got our don't coast. Stir up the gift inside of you. <laughs> Isn't it enough just to get saved and let God do the rest, right? No, he wants you to cooperate. There's something for you to do. He's got a gift. He's got a calling on you. And he's just saying, hey, listen, are you tending to it? Are you nurturing it? Are you doing your part? Are you cooperating? Are you exercising it? Or do you just sit on the couch? Listen, uh, back in the day, I don't know if we, people still use the bellows a lot. We just found that fascinating in high school. We found all kinds of things we could do with it for our fireplace instead of the fireplace. The little brother's mouth, you know. (laughs) Try to blow up your brother, you know. The word in the Greek to stir up your gift, Timothy, is the same word to kindle a fire or to, to blow on the coals just to 
enlightened it. A word Bible commentary said this, page 476. Every Christian engaged in however small a task requires that assurance that God never commissions anyone to a task without imparting a special grace to accomplish it. You have it on you, in you. Use it. Stir it up. Or God will. Right? Isn't that what a trial does? It comes your way. It upsets you. And it causes that to come to life sometimes if you handle it well. Kindle that fire. He says, your faith is genuine, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing for you to do. And I'll tell you what, Christians who will get it, find themselves in heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15, and hear, hey, we don't have much for you in, in terms of reward. You're saved as just through the fire, as escaping through fire. Those Christians are the ones who are lazy, who sit on the couch and, and don't want to get up and get the bellows and go over and do the exertion it takes to do that. That's all it is. Saved? Yeah, because it had nothing to do with you. Not rewarded, because that part did about faithfulness. So he says, man, do your part. Come on, stir it up. Spiritual lighter fluid, there's, there's the word of God. I mean, when I... I, I I like to listen to guys that can really preach and teach. Uh, some Calvary guys I always listen to. When I hear a sermon that is well executed and, and, and is delivered with passion and knowledge and gifting, my heart, I feel warm. I, I feel something happening to where I want to leave that message. I want to do something for God. I want to repent of my sins. I want to change my life. I, I just am more sure of what I know and believe and, and more resolved to live for him. That's, listen to podcasts. Read the word of God. Be around under other like-minded, uh, spiritually godly people. Because what happens? You're around them. They bring the, the coals of their lives, come in. The room starts to heat up. And you could catch on fire, right? In a good way. Who are you hanging out with? I don't have that kind of passion. Who do you hang out with? They're just as passionless as you, probably, if that's your problem. Spiritual light or fluid. I think the best way, before we move on, the best way is to exercise the gift that God has given you. Use it. Step out. That brings the flames right up. And so he says, don't cower next. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit, a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. One of my favorite all-time verses, isn't it? It's just beautiful. So Timothy, he's, he's got a gift. He needs to use it. Now, a little clarity now about the kind of gift that God gives uh, so that you can find the confidence that you need. Now, you know... We all face intimidating situations, uh, things that make us feel afraid, uh, speaking in front of others, uh, confronting someone, being made to look foolish, rejection, being slandered, all of the above there. Now, these were everyday challenges for, for Timothy, those kinds of fears, uh, because that's the life of the ministry. 
you're speaking in front of people, you're confronting people, you're, you're saying things a lot of people don't want to hear, you have to correct people, you're, you're being made to look foolish sometimes, uh, there's rejection, there's all kinds of problems. Here's what David Guzik, pastor of uh, Santa Barbara Calvary Chapel, had to say about this verse. The first step in dealing with such fears is to understand that they are not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when you're afraid, you just know, you, you do know one thing. This isn't from God. To be able to say this isn't from God, this isn't God making me feel this way, uh, that's important. God hasn't given me this. You should be able to say that. Perhaps it is from your personality, perhaps a weakness in your sinful nature, or even a demonic attack. But it isn't from God, whatever it is. Now, <clears throat> this is helpful. When you're intimidated, when you have fear, when something's kind of tormenting you and bothering you, and it doesn't come from God, you, you have such power, you, you have such authority in the Spirit to be able to say, this is not from God, I don't receive it, I'm going to ignore it, I shut the door in your face. I'm not going to give it access because I know, right here, it doesn't come from God. God didn't give me this. So whatever it is, I say to it as if it can hear me, you're not welcome here, goodbye. Shut the door in Jesus' name. Now there's a great scripture, a lot of scriptures, Christians don't use this. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we use are different. Uh, on the contrary, we have God's power to demolish strongholds, fear, lust, besetting sins, tormenting thoughts, things that bother us, unwarranted guilt, strongholds. We have God's power to tear them apart. We demolish them and every pretension, it's always going to be that way. Every pretension. You can't do anything about it. That sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, when the fear comes in, don't belong here. This isn't from God. I have weapons to fight this. And I'm going to, in the name of Jesus, I take that thought captive, I pull it down, and I refuse it. It is amazing what a little intention, a little effort, a little faith, a little scripture, and calling on Jesus, how it can change your whole life. Why not try that? Instead of just letting it be in the devil's punching bag. And having all these besetting things intimidate you, intimidate you, intimidate you. Well, one day you're going to have it. You're just going to say, enough. And in the name of Jesus, I don't open myself. I don't receive this. I'm not giving. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to act on it. And instead, the power and the love and the sound mind, the sound discipline is mine. I have so many moments like these, I don't know which one to choose, but I always go to the lawnmower story. When I was a young man, I was just tormented, tormented with this one thing over and over and over again. And I heard somebody preach on this message, on this passage, and I stopped mowing the lawn. And while the mow, mow what is it called? Thank you, a lawnmower. <laughs> 
the lawnmower is still going. I have my hands up. Because you know what? Quite frankly, I really don't care what people think. That's part of the package. And so I just put my hands up in the air and I'm like, Lord Jesus, in your name, you told me I don't have to put up with this. And I did the whole thing. And in the name of Jesus, through the blood of the cross, because there's a sovereign God in heaven who has commanded that this does not come from him. I do not have to have this anymore. In Jesus' name, done. Never again. Never again. Well, do you see that passion? Do you see what it took? Have you ever tried that? And if it didn't go away, I would have tried that again. Forgive me if I offend anybody in here. It's not my intent. But there are so many through 35 years of people coming in and whining about... Whining and whining and whining and whining. Have you done any of this? Do you believe that this doesn't come from God and that God has given you a whole different set of powerful weapons, he calls them? Have you used them? Have you recognized them? Do you believe in them? Or is this thing really, listen, serving a purpose for you to have in your life? The reason you haven't overcome it is because somehow it is doing something for you. Not in a healthy way, but you let it stay because it's serving something broken in you. Think about that. The Lord will give you understanding about that. Amen? Amen. Anybody tell me what sermon I'm in now after (laughs) that funny trail? So don't cower. Instead, you have power. All right, the three things he says, power. You know what you've got? Maybe you don't know, but it's the Greek word, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. The mountain will be removed. The tree uprooted. The valley filled up. You've got the power. He says it's yours. Number two, he says, love. You know, working with people can be frustrating, all right? So he says, Timothy, listen, you're going to have the love. You have an unlimited reservoir within you of God's love to to continue to overlook offenses, to forgive 70 times 7, to reach out to the lost who uh, are their sinners. They act like sinners, and, and they'll get to you if you let them. But I've given you the love that will conquer that and motivate you time after time. You'll be patient with the weak. You'll continue. And then the last thing he says, I've given you self-control, a healthy mind. The word really means the ability to live sensibly and live in a well-balanced, live a well-balanced life under control. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, when you're under stress, you're most vulnerable to acting out in impulsiveness or in falling in a temptation. He says, but God has given you not that spirit. He's given you a spirit where after having preached to others, you yourself will not be disqualified by something terrible like an impulsive, sinful thing. That's what you have. You have it. It's downloaded. We keep asking for it, and I understand that. I do the same thing. The Lord has given it. It's in the fabric of your soul because Christ is in you. These are things that are yours, 
The devil, this keeps us distracted so we don't realize that we actually have the power, we have the love, and we have the self-control that we need because he's in you. You know, it really would stink if you get to heaven and you find out he looks at you and he goes, <coughs> you had it all along. You had the power. Man, it's just like that, what is it, Wizard of Oz? You know, I was so bummed out at the end when I found out she could have gone home the whole time. They said, oh, you had the power the whole time. You know, Glinda, the good witch, whatever. She's saying you always had the power to go home. I wanted her to go back to Kansas the whole movie, right? And then she says at the end, oh, by the way, you could have done it any time you wanted. It's like, what? And then I find out, well, what do you mean she could have? It's in the ruby slippers. And so we look down at the slippers. Who would have known she had to click them three times? There were no instructions. I was like, she couldn't have gone home even though she had them. We needed them. That's what I do. When I watch movies, I get up in their face. <laughs> Ask my children. <laughs> it happens. I don't want to see any strange looks on the Lord's face when I get there like... (laughs) That's a nightmare face from the Lord. (laughs) What what happened to you? I was riding a friend's bike in San Francisco. There are a lot of hills in San Francisco. (laughs) I was going up and I had it for about two weeks and, and my knee bumped into something and it... I heard, (laughs) there was a whole nother gear that I wasn't using, that I didn't know about, right? So then I looked down, I thought, that's what the gear is for. (laughs) It made it so much easier. I had it the whole time, and I didn't know it. Do you? Seriously, you're always thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't. You can you can. So let's continue here. You know, talent and training and experience cannot take the place of the Holy Spirit. And so he's got what he needs. Now, to the key idea for the next couple chapters, don't cave in. Don't be ashamed to testify. Wow, Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord. You're telling a pastor that? Or ashamed of me? His lifelong friend who led him to the Lord. He's saying, don't, don't be embarrassed of the Lord. Now, the devil's greatest tool to hinder all Christians is to shame us into silence. To hinder you by how popular the world is and their ideas and how stupid you will look as a Christian who actually believes all this. So he says, first of all, don't be embarrassed of the Lord. Wow. Well, back in those days, uh, to be crucified was a real scandal. And so to say, that was my Lord, God's son, naked, on that Roman cross, spit upon, that's my king. That's my powerful king. Dying, a criminal's death with two thugs, well-deserving dying on each side of him. He says, don't, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Peter, 
you were, you also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. That Nazarene, that's a pejorative term. It's an insult. You were with him. Hey, you and him, you, you belong to that guy. No, I don't. Oh, no, no, no. I saw you with those other Christians. I saw you with the Christ people. No, you didn't. Yes, you sound exactly like those Jesus people. Your accent, you talk just like them. No, I don't. Timothy, it's in all of our hearts. We all want to be accepted. We all don't want to look dumb and stupid like the odd man out. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Because when he comes, those who are ashamed of him in this life will be ashamed then, and he'll be ashamed of them. Whatever you do, don't be ashamed of him. Because there's going to be a role reversal coming. Don't be ashamed of the message either. It can be an embarrassing message. It's not a message the world likes. You know, power comes from weakness. Life comes through death. Losing yourself, you find yourself. Finding yourself, you lose yourself. All your sins can be forgiven with just a simple prayer. They hate that one. Oh yeah, I'm just going to say a prayer at the end and I'm going to be saved. Pretty much. (laughs) It can happen if it's real, right? He says, don't be ashamed. Oh, the rapture of the church are all going to disappear. The trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. They'll get their bodies. And you who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Like Jesus said, oh, two will be in a field. One goes, one stays. Two will be in a kitchen grinding, working. One goes, one stays. Oh, when you go, can I have your car? Yes. You can. Don't be ashamed. Oh, Noah's Ark. Are you the people? Noah's Ark. Oh, how cute. Go look at the Grand Canyon, Buster. Look at all those lines. That happened from a flood. All right? Amen? Amen. I'm having fun. (laughs) Move on here. Don't be ashamed. Then he says, look at that. Don't be ashamed of me. Ah, he wasn't an attractive man to begin with, but then through all the torture, he was disfigured, he walked funny, his face was uh, scarred, and now he's on death row. He's saying, "Don't, don't be embarrassed of me. These marks are from Jesus. They're the marks I bear from Jesus. Think of it that way. And so he goes on, and uh, lastly he says, don't lose sight of Christ. Uh, I love this. And, and here's what he does, and I'm just going to wrap it up by saying, he now plunges in, if you look at your text, at the, the reasons that will take all the fear and the doubting and the, the shame away. By just letting you think about these things, poof, you will not need any more encouragement to not be afraid. Listen, he saved us by his grace. That's what he says. He says, now listen, we can suffer being ashamed a little bit now because then we will not be. But 
Because he saved us, we can suffer with him. He saved us by his grace. I'm convinced if anybody understood truly what it meant to be saved, boy, we would never need encouragement to be bold. You and I had an appointment in hell forever. That's what your sins deserve. That's what my sins deserve. And every picture of hell in the Bible is one that we don't even like to talk about. Eternal flames, eternal darkness. There's some one thing about bottomless pit. It's called the abyss. The devil's there. The Antichrist will be there. And the smoke of their torment rises day and night forever and ever. That's a quote. Hey, Timothy, he saved you by grace. You didn't have to do anything. You escaped the judgment and the wrath of God. Wow. He chose us before time. He said, this grace was in Christ and given to you before time in your text. This is the doctrine of election. It means, quite frankly, it means that God had a group and he chose. And the Bible teaches that he chose us in him in love. He had a choice and he picked you, Timothy. What does that do for your confidence, man? Do I need to, to exhort you to be bold after I just told you that he picked you and select? He selected you. Do I have all the answers to what, that, what does that mean to unbelievers? No. And don't ruin it by trying to figure it out because you never will. It's a mystery. I'm going to enjoy the fact that the Bible says before this world was, before there was time, he knew me and chose me to know him. Amen. I like that. I wasn't chosen a lot when I was little. <laughs> I'm still not. But, you know, back in the day in junior high, we're all lined up, you know. I wasn't the one they always said, hey, Ross, you're on our team. No, it didn't happen. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> but it didn't happen. And nor was I the first one invited to a party or all the cool kids are hanging out. I was excluded, excluded, excluded. I was bullied. On my parents, God bless them. I love them. They're both saved. They're both in heaven. But they didn't know how to love me. I didn't feel wanted. Nobody picked me for anything. And then I read when I was 19 years old, God chose me. I like that. (laughs) He chose me. Why? He likes me. He couldn't imagine heaven without me. (laughs) Or you. Or you. Well, what about him? Just shut up. We don't know that answer. We don't understand that. Is that an easy answer? Yes, he wants everybody saved. He loves the world. Timothy, God picked you out and said, that that one's mine. He's going through. I'm praying for him. I'm rooting for him. I love him. I'll make sure that he goes all the way. Wow. He destroyed death. Well, that's a nice message. The King James, he abolished death. Death is irrelevant. That's the message. Death is gone. He swallowed it up. Death died. That's the message. He brought eternal life instead. 
And he made us his messengers. He says, listen, one writer summed it all up this way. He said, speaking to Timothy, 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 if you fully well knew the magnificence of God, if you could fathom the glories of heaven, if, Timothy, you could grasp with your mind what it means to be saved, if you could fully realize the horror of hell and what you've been spared and understand the grace that you've been given, if, Timothy, you would totally comprehend the love that God has for us and the world, then there'd be no need to encourage anyone. We'd all be on fire. We'd all be uncompromised, bold, and unashamed. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we just see through like glass that's all fogged up right now. We don't even know what we shall be, but we do know one thing, that when we see you, we shall be like you, for we will see you as you are. So, Father God, we, we think about heaven. We think about your return. We think about the promises. We want to be bold and confident and unashamed. We don't want to keep in or compromise or cower. God, we want you to live through us and use our weaknesses and shine through us, Lord, as we yield our lives to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.